All right. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. And this evening, we have a special guest with us, all the way from back here in the States, Michael Murphy. <laughs> Mark, how are you? I'm okay. Doc, it's how are you? China so far. Doc, how are you? I'm doing really well. How's everybody doing? We're doing great. Will, are you all right? Yeah, man. I'm too good. I've had 24 hours worth of rest. So let's. Let's talk to our guest, Murph. Yeah. What yeah. you been doing all this time, man? Where you been? I've been in Qingdao, China, which is exactly between Beijing and Shanghai on the east coast of China. And what were you doing? Over there, I teach English and coach basketball. Actually, oh, I, my goodness. I don't really coach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody trust you coaching? I know your teaching skills are well, but my goodness, Murph. That ain't what you hey. do well. You're right, but you don't. You, you had coached a game in a while. I can coach offense. I ain't so sure about defense, but I can coach well, well on offense. <laughs> well, that is true. He he was Murph is a gunner. He's not big on defense. You know, he's he's of that Mike D'Antoni philosophy of basketball coaching. Yeah. That's the fun way to play. So let's get right into that then. What are your thoughts on D'Antoni and the Rockets and what they're doing and trying to do? I've been a D'Antoni fan all the way back to when he was in the ABA playing for the Spirits of St. Louis. So oh, my God. like D'Antoni. Yeah. He went over to Europe, and he had a pretty good career over there, both playing and coaching. And I've, I've always liked his philosophy. I like his his seven seconds or less sons, and I like the way he coaches the Rockets. I like the personnel they have. I'm not huge on the aesthetics of James Harden's game, but he's effective. Well, what you just said right there, you kind of lean in with Woodley, and, you know, he's not <laughs> too you. fond of Thank James Harden's style I'm of play. Only, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. No, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm, I'm not big on team. Like, I respect their ability and their skill and the hustle and attitude, but I'm just not big on one guy like Russell Westbrook or James Harden with the ball in his hands all the time. I I don't like that style of basketball. That's just me. That's my opinion. I like it when it's moving and everybody's getting it. How much NBA basketball were you able to keep up with while in China? Oh, I, I – Quite a bit. I download games. I try to watch them. They televise quite a few NBA games, except they're on at 8 o'clock in the morning over here or over in China because they're showing them live. But uh, I get to see quite a few games. Are the Rockets the biggest team in China, NBA team? Well, yeah, but China is notorious for front running. So you see a lot of – when I first went there, there were a lot of, you know, Boston Celtics fans. I, I arrived in 2010. Kobe was huge, and then you saw it go to Dirk Nowitzki when the Mavericks won, and then you saw LeBron James was hot, and then now it's Stephen Curry. Everybody's big on Stephen Curry. But, yeah, the Rockets are still the number one team overall, I'd say. What are your thoughts on Les Alexander putting the Rockets up for sale? Uh, I, I don't know. To be honest, I'm, just, I'm not really – familiar with any of the reasons behind it, but for me, 
I don't know. Owning an NBA team, yeah, they're worth a ton of money, but running has got to be a headache these days. And I, I'm sure it's just a thing where he just wants to kick back and enjoy his money and his life just finding a buyer. I guess maybe James Harden should buy the team now. Well, he could put in a, you know, put a group together with Matumbo and, and uh, you know, and Doc got some money. Doc can put in some a few pennies and toss it in there. To, but Doc, yeah, Lockett, think, what do you think about Les putting the team up for sale? I thought it was really intriguing. Um, I thought in a lot of ways it's really a good time. And if uh, he doesn't have family that is really prepared to step in and keep this going, I mean the Rockets are at one of the you know highest points in regards to work work of the franchise, particularly as you're talking about China. Uh, the connection they have with China really increases the value of it. The, the franchise, uh, the basketball, NBA right now is at a very good height. So you can probably get one of the largest sums of money you can get at a time for a franchise that may not have the, the history connected with some of the other franchises, i.e. such as the Lakers or Boston, even, you know, New York, and then Chicago Bulls of recent. And so I think in a lot of ways, it makes sense when you think about it in that way, particularly if it's not something that he sees his family wanting to take up and push forward with. Get your money now. And as Bert talked about, you know, if you're going to do that, you're going to get a boatload of money, so you might as well go off and really uh, have some fun and not have to worry about all the uh, components that are associated with having a franchise, not just in basketball, but really in a franchise now with the fans, Pushing and that, uh, both all leagues essentially all season long is not a time, not a lot of time where you can get away from it without really having to be significantly involved. Give the final say on a lot of things. It makes sense in my point from that. I think the big question is going to be really interesting to see who gets involved to be able to, push, to buy the franchises, and then you have the framework now. It seems impossible that a team would leave Houston. Obviously, we did that with the NFL franchise, but I think that's something that you have to kind of watch out too. Is, is there enough team billionaires in the area that are buy a team and basically keep it in Houston? I think it's a secondary note. Well, we know leases and paperwork is, you know, made to be broken. Anything's possible, but the Rockets do have a lease with the city until 2033 to stay in Houston. But I think that's big, but I don't think I don't think that would stop them. I think the league would go a long way into making sure that uh, a ownership they would prefer to be one that would keep it in Houston. But I'm sure they would love to find somebody. And worst case scenario, they would take the team to Seattle. I mean, they wouldn't be terribly mad about that. And of course, I mean, Tad Brown, president, and Daryl Morey has said publicly that they are seeking a buyer who will keep the team in Houston. Again, you know, for, take that for what it's worth. Right. I think it's important to note. I think it makes sense, all indicators, that we stay in Houston, but I think we always have to have our eyes wide open that there is that small possibility that the worst-case scenario for those fans of uh, Houstonians that the team literally could move and something like this. Not likely, but there's a chance. Wildcat, this affects you yeah. directly. So what do you think? 
Well, I'm looking at two things. One, will we get another owner that will – will we get another billionaire that will come in and not be broke with the same mentality of, okay, I want to run you know, on a business-like matter, but I'm also going to have – I have some basketball people in charge. I'm going to let them do their job. And I'm gonna stay out of the way. I won't be a Jerry Jones type owner. Uh, that's the first thing I'm looking at, because that would that's, the other going the other direction would be disruptive. Because I don't think this city could handle a Mark Cuban type owner, uh, considering that they, uh, they, all the ownerships that the, that the uh, team has had since they've been here in the city, that ownership has not been. Uh, stepped in and, and, and kind of like squashed some, some situations that in the long run would hurt the team. Short run, maybe, but not in the long run. Number two, the other thing I'm looking at is just what was mentioned, you know, the the lease on the building and, and all, they got the lease that lasted until 2033, but it's the NBA. Uh, anything could happen. It's not set in stone like they are with the uh, NFL where the owners would, would be strong enough to say, you know, you don't need to move. Whoever comes in and buys, they got to keep the team there. You know, you're bound by the lease that's there. And, and the only way you can move, the rest of us have to agree unanimous without, without that person being in the voting process. That's the two things that I'm, kind of, I'm hoping for. Because putting the money together, uh, I don't think it'll be as hard as it as, as it was years ago when uh, teams were, were were moving and teams were getting sold. Because now billionaires, uh, they've always got these options and all set up and and what they can get to move some paperwork, call a bank, get involved, and then boom, you know, there's the money, put the money in the league, and then move on. So I'm not worried about the about the money side of it. I'm just, it's, for for whatever reason that's not a bothersome because two to three billion dollars is going to be somebody's going to find a way and going to put it together. I'd hope it'd be just one owner, but it may be a, a multiple a consultant because I think that's the way to go nowadays. Not not just put it all on one person's back and then slowly, as as time moves on, do what less did, you know, buy folks out as you move down the road. Murph, you've followed the NBA and basketball for a long time. Do you think it's possible or probable that the next owner would move the team from Houston? Yeah, it's always possible. I mean, the Rockets are a legal, we already paid the team to begin with. They started out in San Diego. You know, you look around the league and teams that you right. see that are well established are, you know, the Lakers started out in Minneapolis. You know, the Utah Jazz. Start out in New Orleans. So you have teams that are always moving. And the Hawks start out in Milwaukee, move to St. Louis. So moving teams is always a possibility. I wouldn't say it's probable. Houston's pretty well established as an NBA city. So it's always a possibility. All right, let's talk about Kyrie Irving and his kind of demand. You know because he, has, he doesn't have a, a no-trade clause, so... He'll go where the Cavs get the best offer. But, Murph, first up, 
What are your thoughts on Kyrie and his people making the decision to leave Cleveland? Now, I'm, is anybody surprised? <laughs> Anytime you have guys like you have these you know, guys who are, you don't want to say pampered, or maybe that is the right word, but guys that are they're not used to sharing the limelight or the ball, and now you got a guy like LeBron, obviously very high profile. It was Kyrie's team for a while, then LeBron came back, and then it's automatically LeBron's team, and Kyrie don't like that. He wants to go someplace where he's the man. I mean, you saw rumors of it, at least, before Marcus Aldridge leaving Portland. He didn't want to share the ball in the limelight with Damian Lillard. So things like this aren't surprising to me at all. I mean, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, to be honest. But what team could Kyrie go and be the man? Minnesota, he won't be the man. San Antonio, he won't be the man. Yeah, Carl Anthony Towns going to be the man in Minnesota for a Exactly. While. So of the other teams. I, I don't know. I can't think of a team unless he goes to some really beautiful team and you don't want to go there. <laughs> we don't know what's going through a guy's mind when he leaves a team that's been to the NBA Finals. One year removed from an NBA championship and he wants to be traded. So I, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, the best young pieces are with Phoenix. So from the Cavs' standpoint, now they have a general manager finally in place. You know, but trading Kyrie, I mean, like I said, Kyrie doesn't have a choice. If the Cavs get the best offer from the Suns, then Kyrie's going to the Suns. So, but we'll see how it all plays out. I do believe in. We've already had reports from Chris B. Haynes that LeBron will not waive his low trade clause. He's going to stick it out with Cleveland this this season, and then next summer everybody expects him to opt out to become a free agent. So he'll be with Cleveland one more year. I think Dan Gilbert has really mucked up the whole situation for the Cavaliers fans. But they got the one championship. I think that's a lot more of what's going on with Kyrie Irving and the ownership group than uh, how much of it is with LeBron James. Obviously, there's probably something there, but I think it's more about the organization and where he sees the organization going in regards to how it's run. And he's like, let me go ahead and make this statement now. So I'm not stuck here by myself once LeBron James holds his end of the bargain up and gets out of here. Let me see if I can get out of here first. Yeah, but if Kyrie wants to be the man for a team, he can wait a season. LeBron leaves, he'll be he'll be the man in Cleveland. That's why I don't think it's really about him being a man. I think that was put out there to help push the agenda to get him out of there. I think it's a bigger issue than that. I think sometimes we need to be careful that just because somebody purposely leaked something out there uh, to help put something in a direction, to help them move from whatever they're going to do, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the truth uh, of behind it. I think some things that are so obvious, you need to be careful of taking it this as that and then ulterior motive to make move to get you where you want to go. Well, why, well, let me ask this question then: Why can't won't he wait until next year, next season, when he, everybody knows that LeBron is going to be making a move right. no matter what? Because that would be the that, that would be the obvious situation where he could they, they could put into a contract and uh, build a team around him, uh, rebuild a team around him. And they at least could make it to the to the conference finals or to the finals. They may not win another championship, but the, the East is pretty much you know it's weaker than it's, than it's ever been. I've never seen that 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 uh, uh, that side of the league this week overall 
where nobody can push anybody in the West in the Western Conference. Murph? Exactly. That's why I said that for me, it's not just about it being him being the man. Because all indicators that it's likely that LeBron is going to opt out. We know, well, he, we know he's going to opt out. The question is, is, will he get the temptation to decide to go ahead and leave? With that being a probability, it makes more sense that it's not Kyrie just saying, I want to be the man. Because the indication that could happen right there in Cleveland. I don't think that's the sole reason. I think he sees a lot going on, a lot what's going on in terms of the organization. I mean, I don't think that's the best well-run organization from a ownership. You just talked about the fact with the owner being all involved and heavy-handed with the Dallas Cowboys and uh, the Mavericks in a lot of ways, even though I would make an argument. When you compare that to Houston, they have had championships in those prospective sports when Houston has. So it doesn't guarantee just because you're not involved that you're going to win championships. With that said, getting back to our original talk with Cleveland, I just think that there's a lot of concerns about that organization being a place where where the organization can really put the chips in a place where you can win championships. I think, as you've seen back with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, if they thought that it was really about what the players did more than what the ownership did in regards to putting those pieces together. I see this as another indication that people – and with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I, in this case, Kyrie Irving, I mean, people really don't see that leadership there. Other than that, I don't think I think it's really early for you to push those envelopes about getting out of there. And you think ships are going to move anyway? But how weak is the East compared to, to history? What's that? I'm sorry. How weak is the Eastern Conference? NBA Eastern Conference is what you've seen in NBA history? No, it's weakest since, at least from what I see, since you had that big migration of Eastern Conference players back in the late 90s, you know, with Shaq left Orlando to come west. You started to have that migration of guys coming, you know, Rasheed Wallace came over to Portland. You had just this huge migration of Eastern Conference stars coming over. So, and then the Eastern Conference just fell off the map there for a while. Except for the Bulls, of course. Is that bad for the NBA? Uh, no, would it be good? Better for the NBA if there was a team in the West that could really challenge the, the Golden State Warriors. But I disagree with the whole way the league is going. I mean, everybody's trying to copy the Warriors' mold, but the Warriors built themselves through the draft. Their team specifically suited to play that style of ball. Everybody else is trying to piece together a team that can keep up with and play that. Man, play to your strengths. I mean, Minnesota, you see Minnesota, you got Carl Anthony Towns after shooting threes. Come on, come on. Every three he takes on the other coach, I'm down on my knees thanking the good Lord that he ain't down low drawing fouls and going to the foul line and fouling out my whole team before the fourth quarter rolls around. Yeah, DeMarcus Cousins, the same thing. After shooting, man, if, if I were playing Golden State, I, had a, I would just play my bigs, come on, go. if you if we can't stop you, okay, I'll just take that butt whooping and go home. But you've got to try to stop me. I'm going to put my bigs underneath the basket, try and stop us. Thank you for sharing it, Murph. Uh, I, I'm glad that you put that out there. I've been thinking about that, that it's amazing. So many people talk about this being a super team. 
and that that's the way you put teams together is if they collected the pieces and then they really did their homework. And just two years ago, everybody was lauding the GM, uh, and he almost got in trouble saying that he's not going to fall behind because he said he's just smarter than everybody else. And part of that was the, about them building that team through the draft, getting uh, some key acquisitions, and then they were in just the right position. And a fortunate win, and then a loss actually toppled everything to the next level. So it's not like this was purposeful. And a lot of the key things had to happen to make it put all together where Golden State is in the place they are now. Well, yeah, I also agree with Murph on the uh... – on the big man part, if you got a dominant big man down low, keep your butt down low. I don't really want to see uh, seven foot, seven foot one bigs who have low post skills standing up by the three point line, unless that's the strongest part of their game. That just bothers the hell out of me. You know, NBA coaches have just fallen in love with the three point line to the detriment of the low post big man, and I think that's just a bunch of crap. I agree. We all no, you, no, but the NBA has historically been a copycat league. Remember the late night? Everybody was isolation. Everybody. ISO game, ISO game, ISO game. And then finally, the Suns broke through that mold with the fast break. Everybody tried to fast break. Then the Lakers came along with the big man. Everybody tried to be big. Now the Warriors come along. Everybody's trying to shoot threes. So it's just cyclical. Everybody's trying to make it look like they're on top of things. Instead of, hey, people are afraid to play their game because it's going to look bad if you just get killed while they're bombing threes. Let's talk college basketball. Murph, do you still keep up with U of H at all? No, not really. I can't. No, it's... I mean, it's difficult to keep up with college ball over in China. They don't show any. I mean, they love the NBA, but anything else, they, they really don't show it. Even the, the national team, the Chinese national team, they don't show a lot of that because they're just not very good. So, you know, they show a ton of NBA stuff, but they don't show much of anything else. Well, are you surprised that the Cougs have not really done much since you left? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it has exactly. Any in any way different than when I was here? <laughs> no, I just wanted you to no, not at all. Only thing they don't think that have changed. They've got better facilities, packed the facilities up. You know, the Guyville Lewis Development Center. It seems like they're getting better recruits. Let me ask you this, Murphy. This is up for all three of y'all. <clears throat> have you heard how many times, if ever, have you heard of Division One transfers? going JUCO, then going to commit back to Division One. So they committed to the – so they transferred from a Division One school. They committed to another Division One school. But in between, they're going to go JUCO before they go back to the Division One. Uh, no. All right. You've aced quite a few – Birth. Birth. Quite a few of these kids. They don't want to go. They don't want to transfer and go and sit. So they're doing what the football kids do. They moving down, go play, still in class, kind of add to, to to whatever it is that they're trying to get as far as a degree or stay eligible. And while they all and they and in the process they stand on the floor, still developing their game, and they're not sitting out. 
They're not sitting around waiting, doing nothing. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. These two young men from UMass visited U of H yesterday. Let me get the names correct. Um, Dijon or Dijon Jero and Bryson Gresham, both from Louisiana, transferring from UMass. So they played at UMass last year. They committed to U of H yesterday. But they are going to go JUCO for the 17-18 season before playing at U of H beginning with the 18-19 season because they're going to get their academics in order. Yeah. Well, well I, I'll, great. I'll just let me just say one thing. The NCAA okay. has got to change these antiquated rules about transferring. If a kid wants mm. to transfer somewhere, let him go. Coach, right there, somebody comes in and drops a ton of money on his desk, coach is out the door. He don't have to sit out a year. Why does a kid have to sit out a year and train? They had that kid, where is he from, Virginia? He graduated. Yep. Why did they go to transfer to finish up at another school? And they tried to say no. Now, they need to change all these antiquated rules that they have as far as transfers go. That's all I'll say. Doc, I know you got an opinion on this, right? And you certainly do. And you certainly know I do. Uh, I agree with her. Open up the gate. Uh, traditional students can transfer at any point in time. And they go to the next school. If their degree plan works, they keep moving. If not, they lose the hours and they keep keep pressing forward. Uh, coaches can move without a problem. So I, I think it's just antiquated. And every time you put these silly rules in place, they really don't make sense. All you do is find yourself in the problem later and trying to create another rule to help uh, fasten the last rule where people start to find their ways around it. Or you get these bad articles that really show that you're not about the students. So at some point, you just need to move forward. I mean, don't get me started about the AD. I'm not. I mean, about the NCA in regards to how I think they are really holding all this money in such a way that it doesn't go back to the students as they say it does. Uh, particularly those students in the two sports that are generating this revenue. That's a bigger question. There's a other article out here I think that will become interesting uh, that you'll see in the next couple of days about college ADs or business limiting athletes pay as their own salary skyrocket. So one of the best places you can be in regards to outscaling everybody else uh, is in college athletics as an AD, obviously as a coach, where their salaries continue to balloon, in some cases, uh, much more than what you would do at the professional level. And a lot of that is before, because they hoard the money in such a way they suppress uh, the fixed on-field labor call. Well, Doc, let me ask this question. Seeing as we all agree that something needs to be done with these rules, how hard would it be to put a consultant together, uh, presidents and ADs, that will sit down and go back through the constitution of the, of the NC2A and bring, and, and, and bring everything up to date uh, uh, socially and academically and athletically that would be viable to all these schools on every level from JUCO was uh, uh, all the four, uh, let me rephrase it, 
four-year institutions that are NC2A affiliated, where they would all be on the same page as far as transferring eligibility, what's required for eligibility, how many years that you can get do a medical hardship because I was talking to a football coach. I'm trying to remember at, at one of the media days this past week where a kid has almost done eight years of school. He's were in the process before he finishes out his athletic uh, time. We'll be working on his doctoral ship and I will almost get to the point of actually graduating with that when by the time he leaves school. Awesome. That's great that he was able to understand the system enough in enough ways that he's able to truly benefit. But unfortunately the numbers suggest that that's not the norm and that's what my concern is oftentimes you see uh where small cases are put out as if it's the norm. And they're great stories, but they're just not that. They're not the norm. They're just a uh, few stories. I think there's two parts to your question. Is the first part is not very difficult at all for them to get together. I mean, they meet at least annually, and there's other ways that they meet. So, but they don't discuss anything, though. Yeah, they discuss issues and they discuss rules, but it's really to keep things in place. The challenge that you're talking about is for them getting together and really admitting that there's a problem. And I'm not sure that they really want to admit that. The second part to this is it, it does legally become a problem if it becomes obvious that they're getting together to create these rules, particularly if these rules really don't open up things, because now you can see collusion being a real issue. Similarly, when they came out and had the rule that you could do the cost of living, uh, to give you one quick example, if you notice, they came together as selective groups to talk about cost of living, but one thing they couldn't do was really get together and cap everything at one cost. So they said that we're going to let each institution do their thing and decide what the cost of living was, and they pretty much let the conferences kind of decide what a conference was going to do, but they really couldn't get together as the NCA and do that or you would have seen even more lawsuits coming their way and saying, see, we told you all uh, uh, being a collusive uh, uh, organization. So that's why it becomes challenging is because in a lot of ways there's other rules on the books where they just can't do certain things where it becomes even more obvious what they really are, in my opinion. Any thoughts on the Chris Fieldman lawsuit? Which is the cartel. Any thoughts on the Chris Fuma lawsuit that he's filing against um, Ohio State, I believe, for using the the use of the uh, the names of the retired players on the stadium? I think it's another passing case. In a lot of ways, it's like the uh, NIL rule where people are just trying to push forward and saying that it's arcane and that's not the American system where you can – uh, literally force somebody to sign something and sign their rights over forever. So it's going to be interesting to see what the courts say. So we just screwed all the way around. The kids are just screwed. The fans are screwed. And, and the schools are just doing what they want to do, what they've been doing. Is that any different than it has been? 
That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. You know, there's no way around that. Are we getting, because we getting, a, as they say, getting a raw deal. I mean, ain't even no grease in all being used on this situation. But in, in a nutshell, what Doc said is point blank. They could change these rules if they wanted to change them. But they don't. They see nothing wrong with this. So they just keep doing what they're doing. We'll move on. I mean, point blank. Unless the players unify, use phrases, how you want to say it, unionize, whatever, unify and say, look, we're not going to play. We're not going to play in the NCAA tournament. We're not going to play in these bowl games until y'all start doing right by us. Unless that happens. What incentive what, are we going to say that the president and AD is going to change out of the kindness of their heart? Is that what we're expecting them to do? That's not going to happen. Exactly. So, you know, and the, the, the alums don't care. The wealthy alums, they just want to keep winning. They really don't care how they do it. You just keep winning for me, son. You keep doing what you're doing on the ball field. You keep toting that rock. They don't care about anything else. Right? No. Right, yeah. 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 I just hey at at some point you would you would hope maybe the kids it's, it's young adults would grow up and it would move forward and say, you know what? I, look, I want a piece of this pie. I'm tired of everybody everybody getting ass and I'm not getting mine. And you would, at at some point you would hope that they would figure it out and not try to do it under the table and just say, you know what, give me mine, put my my pie on the table. I'm not accepting no under the table of money that's going to be separate from anybody else. We all want a piece of the pie. At some point, Somebody, a group, is got is is, is gonna rise up. I, I I just hope that that happens during my lifetime. I want to see that because if it don't happen, the kids can say what they want to, but they're getting exactly like what they get because they won't stand up. Let me ain't see. no rally, no revolutions going on on campus. There needs some revolutions going on. Yeah, let me shift gears real quick. I want to get Murph's thoughts on this. Murph, what is your opinion of does Carmelo or how would Carmelo fit with the Rockets? Not at all. How's that? Thank you, Murph. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank El- you. Elaborate. Not at all. <laughs> what do you mean, elaborate? I mean, give me your tell me, tell me, tell me why not. I agree. Tell me why because not. Because if, if you're not sitting on the rim, he can't see you. Because that's the only place he's looking. He's a ball star. The whole thing of D'Antoni's offense is movement. It's it's like the old, he used to call it the two-count offense. You get the ball, count to two. If you haven't done something, give it up. Carmelo, that is not his strength. He's like the 20-count offense. Get the ball, massage it, pound it, back his guy in, and try to shoot a fadeaway. The shot clock expires. Or he short clocks one of his teammates by throwing him the ball right before the clock expires. I, I'm just, I respect Carl like the other guy. I, I respect his talent. 
and his abilities and stuff. But I would not, that was one of the guys I would not want to have him on my team. There are certain guys throughout NBA history, they're great, great players, Hall of Fame players, but I don't want them on my team. What about those folks who say, with Chris Paul and James Harden as the one-two options, Carmelo would be able to dominate that third option on another team? What about that? Okay, yeah, except how does Chris Paul fit into this team? You think? You tell me. Go ahead. I don't know. Everything they're saying about Chris Paul were the same things they were saying about Dwight Howard. If, exact, if you just change the names, you could you could change all these quotes. Just put Chris Paul instead of Dwight Howard. So you're saying you don't see the uh, you don't see Chris Paul, James Harden as being. I, I don't understand. I don't understand why they're doing it. I love Chris Paul. He's one of my favorite players. But you just had a guy almost win the MVP. And he dominated the ball. All, and you had it before, and granted, it was not exactly the same thing, but they brought in Ty Lawson to be the complimentary point guard, handle the ball, take the pressure off Harden, and that failed spectacularly. So how is this going to work with Chris Paul? So this is not the second coming of Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe. Uh, no. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. No, the different no, no. News, Earl, no. Everybody talks about Earl, Earl Monroe came to a team that was dominated. Everybody talks about Clyde Frazier. Willis Reed was the dominating personality on that team. And Willis Reed took no crap from anybody. He straightened out everybody on that team when they had to be straightened out. He straightened out the Lakers at one time when they had that big brawl. But I'm just saying, it's not the same. Everybody thinks, oh, Earl Monroe coming. The Knicks were an established team like that that had a very forceful personality in the locker room to keep everybody straight. And so, I don't see the Rockets having that. Okay, so you're saying they're not going to get past the second round? I, I, I don't. I want to see how they fit together first. You can't make any predictions then. You don't know how they're going to fit. You know, I I like Trevor Reza, I like Nene, I like a lot of the guys on this team, but you know, James Harden's got to have the ball in his hand. Well, he says he's, he's going to change. Murphy said Harden said he's going to change. He's going to be a, a better uh, scorer off the you know he can score now with the ball out, not in his hands and with Chris Paul running offense sometimes. All right, you guys, why don't you get Daryl Morey's great? analytics guys to break down how many times James Harden scored off his own either penetration or yo-yoing the ball and then launching a three-step back three. And I'm not criticizing him here. I'm just saying how much of his offense, I would estimate 80% of his offense came from either drives or, you know, step backs and things like that. And where he had the ball the majority of the time on the clock. You were pouring cold water on, on Rocket fans' hearts, Murph. Don't care. <laughs> you know, but I, I said the same thing when he brought in Dwight Howard. And I'm, unlike you guys, but I I like Dwight Howard. I think he <laughs> – there was no way he was going to fit in with the Rockets. There no way 
and I just couldn't understand what they were thinking when they brought him in. And I'm thinking the same thing with Chris Paul. There, I don't see any way. He's a great, great player, and I love him. And I love watching him, but I just don't think he fits in. Doc, well, Murph, let me ask this question. When does a day of reckoning happen, not in a game, but in practice? Between those two guys. Oh, oh I, I, pretty quick, I would imagine, because Chris Paul is notorious for being a speaking the truth, as he calls it, but being, you know, I don't know what you can say on the radio here, but I'll say being a hard ass to his teammates and writing them and telling them what time it is on, you know, when they do something wrong. And I, I want to see how that works with the Rockets. Yep. That's my point exactly. I'm waiting for that day in practice. Yeah, he's used to having not only the ball, but having the hammer, too. Yep. Now you're going to a team where he's going hey, to tell James Harden, James Harden, yeah, I was almost the MVP in his league. Who, who are you talking to? <laughs> so it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. You know, it's one of these moves that the Rockets have made in the past few, past few years that I just like, like when they brought back Jeremy Lee, and I'm like, what are they thinking? I don't know. So, and none of those moves seem to have worked out. Well, Les Alexander loves stars. He loves star power. And the fans love star power, too. You know, Houston is a fair-weather town. Late arriving people to the games, all of those things. So, we'll, I mean, the buzz is in the air because Chris Paul is here. But basketball, we'll see how the fit is on the team, on the floor. Yeah, but I think you only exacerbate all these problems if you bring in Carmelo. And he's just, he don't exactly share the ball very much. And he don't like sharing the limelight very much. So it's, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I just don't know what, how the offense would work with three of those guys on the floor at the same time. I agree with you. So we'll see how it all plays out. Wildcat. Yep. Weren't you somewhere in the last few days? Yeah. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't traveling like Black Doc was. As a matter of fact, I had issues in all of my trips. <laughs> Let me start out with Monday. Uh, bus ride to Dallas to Jerry's Second World in, uh, at the Ford Center in Frisco, Texas. Big 12 media day. Uh, the most interesting thing that transpired that day was everybody looking around like, wow, this is a big place. They got high school football on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and uh, got some college football on the on the weekends, probably even a, a, a bowl game. But uh, interesting point, uh, points that was made on Monday was uh, Commissioner Bowlesby saying that the, the league now is stable. Uh, they're in the process of, you know, just moving forward, getting ready to, put, you know, put the numbers together and uh, get ready for their uh, TV contracts and all that are coming up here pretty soon. The other thing that transpired on Monday was uh, Coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury was uh, in a talkative mood. I helped out some friends and all with uh, some interviews and all on that process. Um uh, 
it's interesting. He knows that the, you know, it's time is, is, is not as on his side right now. And he's got to get some things done because now, now the, the, the conference has made, some schools have made, uh, UT has made a coaching move. They are picked to be in the middle of the pack, but they could easily uh, ride for the uh, top spot just because of uh, uh, the coach, the coaching move that they made. And Oklahoma, on the other hand, they, uh, they are the question mark. Because you never know what's going to – you don't know what's going to transpire with that just because they did make a coaching move. And uh, as Coach Patterson mentioned on uh, Monday, it was different not having uh, Bob Stoops there in the building and, uh, to, to conversationalize and socialize with uh, uh, on Monday. Finished out with that. <clears throat> on Monday uh, – on Tuesday, I'm in uh, Newport, Rhode Island for the American – uh, I talked to Commissioner Aresco, had an interview with him, and it, it, it was interesting. He mentioned that, that, that I, for whatever reason, these commissioners are starting to say, you know, everything's all stabilized and all just because of the fact that uh, nobody's making it, <clears throat> the landscape is not changing anytime soon, and TV contracts are, 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 are a little ways away, at least two to three years away. Uh, including the American, but uh, stabilization, you know, with with uh, uh, the schools and all being, you know, standing out at, in the conferences, some coaching moves and all were made uh, in the in the American. Coach Rule now is at Baylor. Uh, they're talking about them uh, at, as far as coming on with their recruiting, but the American, they are starting to fade as far as being top-notch uh, uh, are being compared with uh, making a move into the power five and making a power six just because of their, this season, their bowl situations were kind of like crapped on by our Conference USA teams uh, in the different bowl season, especially when Temple lost, uh, Navy lost. Uh, I'm trying to remember that uh, it was somebody else that lost also um, on a, one of the uh, – Sub bowl games that the uh, conference is affiliated with, and so. Oh, you missed lost. That was the other one. Okay, uh, and they should have won that game. Uh, I think they were pretty much in a shock mode situation. They that's twice that they lost the coach right before a uh, bowl game in the process, and have gone had to go to uh, make that trip now with with their sister. So as you can see, that you know, football for for those for the American and the Conference USA, they're in a holding pattern right now. They're the only team, the conference that uh, is pretty much where they want to be and standing at this, always say standing in that lane is the Southland on Thursday. I was back here in town. Thank goodness, um, the Southland was football media day was hosted. Here in town at the Hilton Americas, commissioners spoke well of the, of the conference. You know, they are who they are. They prepared for the, uh, the, the go, go to Frisco this year and send not just one team, but two teams out of the conference. They were kind of upset now that, uh, that neither Sam Houston or uh, I'm trying to think who was the other team that was involved. 
my mind has has, has run a blank and all. But the one good thing about on Thursday, all the coaches accept who they are, know who they are, know where they're playing at, know that they have to, you know, compete. And some teams are trying to rebuild, like my niece is trying to make a move back to step back up into uh, the uh, football uh, playoffs. Central USA is, uh, I mean, Central Arkansas is trying to move, uh, get some stability going. Stephen F is trying to move back up. But uh, Sam Houston is going is going to be Sam Houston this year. Uh, hopefully they make it to the championship game. And the question was asked, and coaches kind of like, you know, stepped side, stepped somewhat about, you know, what's taking, what's taking everybody so long to get back to the championship game. And the coaches all know that, that um, they, they since their, their conference is hosting that game up in Frisco, they've got to make it, got to uh, compete. They've got to, you know, go on the road, uh, make an attempt to host a game. And I did find out something. I kind of figured it was. I wasn't sure. But it is about money. It is about, a t- you know, fans in the stands. And conferences, Southland doesn't have a whole lot of stadiums that seat 30,000 or, be- or bigger. They just don't. Because the fan base is not that big. You know, those, those are a lot of rural schools. And they kind of collect close together as for even with, with driving distance. So until they can find a play, a, a neutral site that can allow them to host a playoff game and get a big fan base, they are where they are. That's why they, they're, they're having to go on the road during the playoffs. And, you know, it's, if a hiccup happens, is that <laughs> But it was an enjoyable uh, events and all, all this week. I was kind of happy about it. Just my travels and all was uh, bad. And, yes, I'm going to say this. Just because it happened, uh, United still hadn't resolved their issues with travelers. They still jacking them around and putting them in a holding pattern, and it's just across the board. But and they who, do put you up at night. They do put you up you at sir? night hotels. Who are you? I sir? am the I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me online, uh, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, DL Woodley One. Jerry L. Woodley Jr. Uh, on Blogger, uh, YouTube, and SoundCloud, AKSV, VCSR, the College Sports Report. Doc, you have any football excursions to discuss? Excuse me, excursions to discuss? Yeah. The previous week, we had the Swag Media Day in Birmingham, Alabama. It went Really well. Played two courses with Alcorn State picked as a team coming out of the East. Grandma State picked to come out of the West. The West was deep. At least four teams. You had in the West, Grandma State picked number one. Well, I guess I'll go from five to one, even though I said number one. Yeah, at the bottom, number five. Arkansas Pine Bluff, it didn't surprise anybody at number four. Texas Southern University, which I think a lot of people think they're going to finish higher than that. But the question to me is who will they jump? Which is that number three Prairie View A and M quietly coach was down there looking uh, really strong in regards to what he plans to do with the Prairie View A and M football team. They're strong on the defensive side. 
question a little bit at the quarterback position. They had two quarterbacks. One is the returning uh, player that started for half the season. So that's going to be intriguing. And then number two, Southern, and as I said, number one, Grambling. So, But most of the talk at the SWAC championship game was the fact that this is the last year of the SWAC championship football game. Obviously, uh, contractually, it's here in Houston. And so a lot of the coaches uh, or last couple of weeks were kind of going back and forth in terms of how they feel. Many of them said they didn't necessarily like it, but when they got down to the conference, it seemed as if they decided to be a team player. And some of them would say, you know, they originally didn't like the plan, but presidents made a decision so they can support it. So I thought that was a little intriguing. Still questions going back and forth, whether the game lost money or whether it did not. You had both reports out there. Uh, in regards of your interpretation. So that's the thing I'm trying to dig in and see if I can get my hands on that information from other sources. But I think it'll be intriguing to follow up and continue to look at what goes on just as much on the field for the SWAC as what's going on off the field in terms of those particular questions. But this Friday, I will head to, well, I'll actually start Wednesday. I'll head to New Orleans for the NCAA to look at the grant information and try to get some additional information there before I leave out Friday to Norfolk, Virginia for the MEAC Media Day, which essentially will be the last of four media days of HBCU programs that I covered. Last Thursday, CIAA got off the ground, so they're ready to go win some Salem State as the team picked to come out of there. As we first started off when we said the SEAC, the first Tuesday, the 11th, when they got started, People are saying Tuskegee is going to come out of the SIC. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to kind of follow, get get everything going. For the CIAA and SIC, they play in division format. So while people are picking Winston-Salem State to win it all in the CIAA championship game, it looks like they're picking Bowie State to come out of the other division in terms of the north side while in the SIC. People were picking all these states to face Tuskegee uh, in their in their championship football game format. That'll do it for the HBC Sports Report, as we'll keep things coming. Uh, uh, let me ask you two. Doc, well, hold, two on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say to hoop wise before we let you go? Uh, yeah. Don't expect a lot from Joe Cheese, the big Chinese guy. For a while, so okay. I watched that, the live CBA. Can't play. Is he two years All away right. from being two years away? Was that? Is he two <laughs> years away from being two years away? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, he but but it's going to take away. He can't play defense at the NBA level. Ah, ah, ah! That's not good. That's not good. All right, Murph. Thank you for I, taking time to talk to us, man. You take care. Thanks for having me on. Nice to hear from you all again. All right, bye. Okay, Doc, two questions. First thing is, the quarterback situation at Prairie did come up at the Southland. Uh, Matter of fact, he came up in Conference USA. A couple of teams, I think, somebody scheduled a game. Uh, Yeah, Sam Houston State coming to Prairie View. uh, As Prairie View opens up the season uh, for a Thursday night television game on ESPN3. Right. They travel for their first game as they come to Houston to play their rivals Southern and Labor Day Classic. But, yes, Morton will be the quarterback uh, going into the season. 
there will be some intriguing doing uh, as they get things started in camp. You may see some waiver back and forth, but I think it's pretty much Morton's to lose. Uh, he played in five games last year, got the win uh, in most of those games except for that tough loss to Southern. And so the question is going to be is how much did he move forward? And so I, I think it's going to be very intriguing. Obviously, you'll see something in the Labor Day Classic, but on the Texas Southern side, which is another team that Southland plays with Houston Baptist in the Texas Southern matchup, this year Houston Baptist is coming over to, uh, to BBVA. BBVA. Yeah. And so that'll be an intriguing one to watch as well. In that matchup, you have a Texas Southern quarterback. He was at Media Day. Oh, my goodness, his name is escaping me. Uh, he's coming back from injury, but uh, he's looking the part, looking good. They do have a surprise with the transfer quarterback that came in. I believe he's from the Iowa State area. I haven't been able to get the name uh, just in regards to the school he transferred in. So they have a little ammunition if somehow the quarterback goes down. But at this point, uh, they're going to go with the starter who will actually be a six-year player as he – Got hurt in their first game last year, so he got that medical red shirt. So it'll be interesting to see how things are going. As I said, the West on the uh, slack side is going to be a matchup in terms of division match, division game. The Texas Southern, Southern matchup, Prairie View Southern, Prairie View Grambling in Dallas. Obviously, um, the Grambling-Texas Southern game, Grambling hosts TSU for a homecoming game. So there's going to be some beautiful matchups. And then you're going to have a couple of crossover matchups. Jackson State, please, they're back in the football business as they land a, a JUCO transfer that's come in. He was originally signed for Syracuse, couldn't quite get his uh, grades together, so he uh, ended up going to a JUCO, has completed that, and now he's going to be in the camp for the Jackson State Tigers. They think, they think that's the key player that they needed. Last year, the defense was solid. They pretty much have that whole side of the ball coming back. And so it's going to be intriguing. Don't be surprised about the Alabama State Hornets. They're quiet over there. So we don't know what uh, Coach Jenkins got his hand uh, dirty and what he's trying to get done. So he's quietly confident and cocky over there. So uh, it's going to be a fun year to watch him swag. I don't think you'll see Grambling going undefeated. He might find a way to come out of the West. But undefeated is not what I think is going to happen. Now, they're very confident as they open up the season going over there. You know, they had that matchup with Arizona, and they believe if Devontae Kincaid did not get hurt, they would have had that huge Power 5 upset. So they're going in in their first game, I guess it's against TCU. or uh, No, that's Jackson State going to TCU. But they have an FBS matchup the first weekend, and they believe they can win that game. So uh, it's going to be some excitement for the SWAC uh, teams this year between those FBS matchups, particularly between the Southland Conference. Can they take the next step? There's some key matchups that people are going to be excited to see. Obviously, the MEAC SWAC Challenge opens up the season as the South Carolina State Bulldogs come over that Sunday of Labor Day weekend and play in Baton Rouge, the Bluff, as Southern will host that game for the MEAC SWAC Challenge. So that's one that I plan to get out to that Sunday morning after watching uh, Texas Southern and Prairie View playing the Labor Day Classic. So those uh, that are into the HBC football, particularly on the swag side, it should be an entertaining one. Grandma played two lanes. Grandma played two lanes. 
Tulane, September 2nd. Yeah, that's the game. Thank you. Yeah, that's the one. They think they can get that game. And obviously, it's American Conference. That would be interesting in terms of what we do on this podcast to see if they can make it realistic. If we come back on this show and talk about Grandma State Tigers getting it, boy, it's going to be a lot of people upset and a lot of people there. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Well, Doc, are you ready? Because both teams now, both teams. Yeah, that's right, folks. We talk, we know we know we we headed that direction. Okay, now now, first of all, both teams are without a quarterback. Both teams got to replace a quarterback. I put a quarterback in place. Uh, and and uh, the coach right now is willing to to, to be. Uh, you know, putting a name out there. Because uh, Coach Seaver and I, we uh, had a little conversation. I asked him, he said, you know, it, it is, we just, we're going to wait and see, you know, who who steps out up front, you know, the closer we get to the season getting started. So, it's like you said, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But, Doc, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> For what? <laughs> Wait a minute! What you mean for what? Doc, no, no, no. But see, but see, the my point is, we have new listeners. They don't know what you're talking about. Y'all got to new listeners. How how are the listeners going to know what you're talking about? They never heard it before. They 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 they, 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 know about now. It's only been talking about for the last three years. What last what two years, Doc? But like they, like I said. We got a couple of new. Uh, like I said, we get new listeners. A couple? That's all. We should have had more than that. Yeah, I, I, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't say a couple. Actually, we've had many listeners come on board. So I'm gonna let them in on it as they going back and forth as we tease them enough here. Uh, we do a friendly state bet on that Texas Southern and Houston Baptist matchup. And last year we did the state. And I must admit, I come up, I came up on the short end of the stick, so uh, I had to provide a steak. And then uh, it was actually a couple of them, but I did the first steak, and then we decided to double down on the rest of the steak to see what will take place as Houston Baptist travels to Texas Southern this year. So either Jerry it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go. On several states, or I might have one coming back to my side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may, you may, you may. And it doesn't it's just um, Like I said, didn't have quarters. We're dealing with quarterbacks now. That's a big unknown factor. But uh, I do believe of the uh, defensively and the offensive line will uh, we'll pretty much set the tone this year. So I got to uh, uh, HBU, they bring back uh, pretty much the, the whole crew. They'll yeah. be interested to see what that what transpired with that. Uh, yeah, older, so it'll be intriguing to see. Um, I think both teams are going to be much improved. It's just going to be able to see who is able to uh, make the fewest mistakes as you see in many a college football game in a war of attrition in a lot of ways in terms of who's able to run that football. That's September yeah. 7th, HBU at TSU, September 7th. Like who they got now? Running back. Are they ready? Well, Texas Southern, yeah. Um, you know they they were young at the running back position, so they have everybody returning there. I, I, as I said, for Texas Southern, 
there are two key positions they were looking at. That was the offensive line. I mean, not the offensive, but defensive front line. Right. They got some transfers in, got some basic JUCOs, and some uh, freshmen that will probably see some times as they try to get some depth in there. But they comfortable about what's taking place there. Again, mm-hmm. they got these transfers, so they don't use a lot of names. So we won't really find out until that first week. Right. Uh, and they release these two names. They're in school and things of that nature. But they're comfortable about at least what they're saying to have on paper. But, again, in the SWAT, similar to Southland, at the FCS level, many people would argue FCS pro level, I guess, in a lot of ways. Ultimately, uh, most of it comes down to the quarterback play. So I think that's really what your eyes are going to have to focus on is quarterback play. And if you can get your quarterback that easy to sling it or provide a little extra time because they can get some key first downs with their legs, Mm-hmm. This is going a long way to a team in regards to what they can do on the offensive side of the ball because even if they have a defense that is um, mediocre, if you said, uh, a good offense quarterback will really give them a chance to rest and play up a level. And even if you have a great defense, if you can't move the ball, which is what we've seen with Texas Southern last year, they can right. play defense the same way with Jackson State. Those teams were top of the conference defense, but they were so anemic on the offensive side of the ball Right, uh, they couldn't get uh, a couple of those wins, and you think about it. Uh, between Jackson State and Texas Southern, they had like two or three games where they lost by less than seven points. Right, right. Okay, let's wrap it up. Doc, how can folks find you on the social media platform? Certainly, you can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Doc Kenyatta-Caville, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N. Y A T T A C A V I L. You can catch me on every on my show every Tuesday on Dr. Kaville's Inside HBC Sports Lab, where we talk about the week sport, sporting scene in HBCU football, basketball, and all sports here and there. You can catch that at Dr. Kaville's Inside HBC Sports Lab. If you can't catch it live, go to SoundCloud as we do a podcast. You can listen to anytime you want. And that's our cloud is the same title, Dr. Hill's Inside HBC Sports Lab. One more time for you, Wildcat. Facebook, <clears throat> Facebook Twitter, tweet day, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., SoundCloud, Blogger, YouTube, and AKS3DCSR, the College Sports Report. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, HoustonRoundBallReview.com, Houston Round Ball on YouTube, Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Pod Directory. You can check us out on Facebook at the KG Fifth Four Wildcat and Doc Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at VHR Review. Fellas, thank you for your time. Kudos to Murph for joining us. Before he heads back to China, in I think a week or so, may see if we get him on again beforehand. Want to give a shout out as well to Lanny Smith, former U of H alum, or U of H alum, former U of H Hooper, who joined me a few days ago for an interview that you can catch on HoustonRoundbyView.com as well as the men's hoop blog at uh, HoustonRoundbyView.com. It's part of my HRR interviews that I'm branching out as well, doing those as from a site. To wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more. <laughs>